morning. Can you hear me? <clears throat> well, I, have a qu- uh, I have a question for the... Um, the uh, is Ron gone? Or Dwight? The picture of the men's breakfast, it has a burrito, and the flyer has a, a, um, a pancake, or no, a waffle. So what is going on? So hopefully it's both, right? <clears throat> Plus the word. So, all right, guys, let's, um, let's pray before we start our, 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 our message. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, God, for this day. We praise you, God, for loving us, God. We praise you for giving, God, your only son, God, 2,000 years ago to die, to come and die, to live a perfect life, to take upon himself, upon his body, the punishment that we deserve. Thank you, Lord God, that he rose from the grave on the third day, defeating sin, hell, and death. And you said, Lord, that whoever believes in you shall not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for the gospel, God. Thank you that we have a reason to live today, a reason to gather here to worship you. And thank you, God, that you love the world so much, God. We thank you. Bless this, this study, God. Bless um, the kids in the modular, God, and, and the classrooms. And just um, bless us, God, as a church, Lord, today. Speak to our hearts, God. Let us come out of these uh, this, uh, facilities, God, the, uh, as different people, God, as the way that we came in, God. Transform us, God, and change us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Amen. All right, God, let's open our Bibles on Ephesians chapter 6. And I just want to introduce myself. I'm, my name is Aldo. I'm the youth pastor from, refuge, from here from church, from Refuge Church. And uh, I'm just covering for Pastor Steve. Next week, um, as uh, Ron was talking about it, he's going to come back with, uh, he's going to start a new book, the book of First Thess- Thessalonians. Thessalonians. So you guys are totally welcome to come. And pancakes are going to be provided. So um, first, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13. Before we start our text, I just want to um, uh, give a quick recap or a quick background about uh, what the book of Ephesians was about, because what we're going to learn uh, today in Ephesians 6, uh, it had a lot to say of what Paul told the people from Ephesus on the beginning of the book. The first part of the book, guys, uh, the book of Ephesians, it explained about um, who the believers were, oh, as believers we are in Christ. We, are, we have a, a great relationship with God. God has saved us by His blood. We are forgiven. Our, our, our names are written in the book of life. Then the second, the second half of the book of Ephesians speaks about the responsibilities that we have as Christians in the church, in our families, as spouses, with our spouses, with our children, a church, in our workplace, and as witnesses of the gospel in this world. And finally, at the end, in chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, Paul didn't miss to, I mean, he, he didn't, forgot to, didn't forgot to mention that there is a whole aspect of the Christian walk that we need to take notice of. It is about, uh, and this, uh, we, what, we, what we're talking about today is going to be about the spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare is a battle that has been raged in the spiritual world that we don't see it but it affects us in our daily life. Uh, the spiritual warfare is an eminent battle that we cannot walk away from or ignore as Christians. God has called us to be soldiers and to engage in that battle that God has put us in. I got to say something really quick. I praise God that we have been forgiven of our sins. And we are not battling to obtain salvation. We are not battling to win anything, but we are battling for our walk with Christ for the truth, and we're battling for the laws that need the gospel. Not for salvation. I want to mention that. I want to make sure that you guys understand that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there is a verse that speaks about there is, there is two different people in the world. The people, they understand the gospels. The people, they understand uh, the spiritual things in the Bible. And people that don't care or that don't understand because they have not yet surrendered their life to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness, foolishness to him, nor can he know them, 
because they are spiritually discerned. So when we talk about a battle, if somebody don't believe in the Lord, they will go, what battle? There's no battle going on over here. But as Christians, we know that the devil is still at loose. The Christ won the battle, and we're in the midst of this battle. And one day, God will end up that battle by throwing the devil and the demons into a lake of fire. When I think about the spiritual warfare, guys, I always imagine angels, angels of God and angels of Satan fighting with swords and everything. And you can create like a cool drawing if you like to draw or you can imagine those things. And actually, there is something like that going on, fighting for the work of the Lord, fighting for Christians, fighting for uh, the lost. But there is a battle going on. And I compare this to blood. Think about blood. Blood, when you cut yourself, you see the blood, you know, spilling from your body, and you see, you know what? It's, it's, it's red. It's the only thing that you know is red, and it's made like iron, right? But thanks to technology, we're able to see through, through telescopes and other things, I mean, a microscope and other things, and look so, like, really into the blood. And, you know, we have found a thing called the DNA in the blood, that information of the generics of a person, what are the generics that makes my son have the same nose that I have? All the information of a person is in the blood. But you cannot look at that information at the DNA unless you look at the blood with a microscope and, with a great, and another technology. The same way to the things of the Lord, you cannot see the spiritual world unless you look at it through the Bible lenses. There is a lot of people that have tried to uh, uh, look for this, uh, spiritual ways or, excuse me, God made us uh, eternal. So we, and, and somehow the Lord put this urgency in us to know him and we don't know. Sometimes we're looking in different places, looking, you know, and, and, and people in, through centuries, they have tried to, get in touch with the spiritual world through different lenses, with different ways, like witchcraft, you know, the Ouija board, false religions, false religions that, that lead to a false Christianity, false uh, hope. Think about the New Age uh, movement in our world that tell us that we can become God if we do some techniques or if we love the trees or if we hug a tree or if we save whales or whatever, all kinds of crazy stuff. But in reality, they're looking the spiritual things, God, heaven, earth, forgiveness. They're trying to look, they're trying to obtain all that, all that and by they're looking through a different lenses. And we need to understand that we need to, if we want to understand who God is and his plan about how God made the world, what is the future of us, and how we get to heaven, we need to look in the Bible. Because that's where we found all the information through a very reliable source, which is God. From the beginning, uh, from the beginning, if we look at Genesis, remember God made Adam and Eve, and He put them in the garden, and they were they were they had a great communion with God. God walked in the garden; they were able they were able to talk to Him, and the things of the spirits, the things of the flesh, they were all together. But we know that after Adam and Eve sinned, the things separated. The, you know, the, uh, the spiritual, the spiritual, um, excuse me, the, uh, you know, they were more concerned, Adam and Eve were more concerned with the needs of the flesh and the flesh was rather to, to be satisfied in God alone. As we continue in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 and 6, it says that there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they were children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts and the thoughts of, of, of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So as you see that the... the, the the generation from Genesis, from the fall, after Adam and Eve sin, all the way to the flood, we see the people are not looking 
for God anymore. They're just more concerned of how I can fulfill my evil desires or regular desires. Seems like they turned from looking to God and trying to and wait for the Messiah that God promised from the beginning, but they turned their eyes to sin and iniquity. The Bible, the Bible says that the, the thoughts of their heart, they were evil continually, so they were doing whatever they want. They were raping, they were killing, they were getting what wasn't theirs. They were sacrificing people. Some people say that they were eating people, eating blood and all the stuff. And it was incredible just to imagine that there were angels that came down, no angels of God, but angels of Satan or demons, and they were having, having a relationship with women, and they were giants. You know, they, these women were giving birth of giants. They were giving birth some kind of mutant people. And God had to put an end to that. And God sent a flood. Praise God that Noah believed in God. And he got, he got delivered of that, of that judgment by trusting in God. But we see the eyes of men, they were, you know, de- degenerating by, by time. With the time. And now, if we fast forward all the way to uh, the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 6. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Paul the Apostle wrote this another letter to the, uh, to the church in, Cor- in, in Corinth, and he told him, hey, there's people around us that are blind. They cannot see the truth. And who's blinding them? The devil, the prince and the god of this age. The devil doesn't want them to, to look at the gospel and to understand the gospel. Even to our days, guys, there's a lot of people out there that doesn't know the Lord, that they need to know the truth. But the good news about all these things, you know, about all this blindness is that God opened our eyes. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and died to die for our sins. And then somebody preached the gospel to us. We were able to understand that we were sinners. We were, all, we were able to understand that what we were looking for, it was Christ, but in a different places and different activities. And we... And our eyes were clean. Our eyes were, uh, were open to the truth. And God give us, by trusting in Jesus Christ, our repentance of our sins, God give us the ability and the right to become children of God. In John 1, 12, it says, But as many as receive Him, to them He gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So that, those are the good news right there. The, yes, we were blind. Yes, we couldn't see uh, this, uh, the, you know, the life that God, that God has for us. We were looking at different places, but God opened our eyes to see Him and to see His plan and His love for us. And God allowed us to be children of God. But at the same time, guys, there's something happening. The, yes, our name was, was written in the book of life. Yes, we're more than conquerors in Christ. Yes, you know, there's nothing that can separate us, separate us from the love of God. And it's the truth. But at the same time, God gave us all those promises, all those blessings. But we inherit also a target in our back. Well, I'm saying this because now the devil wants to destroy us. I don't want to, 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 uh, push, to put uh, too much emphasis on the devil, but it's the reality of the thing. Yes, as Christians, we're children of God, but also the devil wants to destroy us. John 15, verse 18 to 20, Jesus said these words to the disciples before he died. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yeah, because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the world, the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted, persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they, kept, if they kept, my, kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus Christ said, just as they 
they persecute me, they're going to persecute you, disciples. Just as the devil did everything in his, in his, in his power to, to stop Jesus from, for, you know, from, uh, from saving us, it's the same thing that he's going to do with Christians. In John 10, 10, he says, The thief, speaking about the devil, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. We see the, the, the two characters. The character of the devil is destruction and, and lie. And the character of God is to give life. Uh, the note that we have to, to make before we continue is, no, because we don't see the battle, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. No, because we don't see the DNA, DNA when blood comes out of our scalp or whatever, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's there. As well, there's a warning for the unbeliever that has not trust in Christ and for the believer. For the unbeliever, there is this warning. If we continue living in this condition of only trusting in what we think, trying to look uh, and, and trying to find um, you know, our spiritual, spiritual walk with God through a different, in different ways that, rather than in the Bible, we will, you know, people that live like that without trusting in God, the Bible says that they will go to hell. And that's a really sovereign thought that if people die without trusting God, they will go to hell. And it's true. It's so true that God the Father had to send his son to die for our sins. That was the only way. If you are an unbeliever today in this church, you come here, they invite you, whatever. I don't know you. Good thing that I don't know you. But if you're here in this, in this room and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, you have never asked the Lord to forgive you your sins. You have never asked the Lord and acknowledged him as the Savior and the Maker and as the Redeemer. You have never asked him for forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that He want to forgive you. He want to give you eternal life. He want to put His Holy Spirit in you. Give you the assurance of eternal life. But it's up to you. For the unbeliever, for, I mean for the believer as Christians, there's a warning for us that if we ignore or avoid fighting or engaging in this war that is raging against us, <clears throat> The consequence, it will be they will, they will not be fulfilling God's plan. We'll be outside of where the battle is taking place, leaving us, <clears throat> leaving us with that death, uh, death faith, an inactive walk, and vulnerable to the enemy. See, I see you guys right now. You're pretty serious right now. But you guys smile. I know you guys smile. But behind every smile, there is a story, right? You might, be, you might be like hiding things or whatever, but behind every smile, there's something going on. And as Christians, we can give, put a smile out there. But in reality, guys, we might be ignoring the fight. We could be coming to church and getting to know, you know, getting to know the word, and that's a good thing. But you never engage in battle. You ignore that it's a battle. And we don't want to be in that place that we're inactive. We don't want to be in a place that we are, uh, as Pastor Steve says, says sometimes, it is a very, very important word, being inept. And God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of the things, of the tactics of the devil, but also of what he offered to us to defend ourselves. I know who doesn't want us to learn about that is the devil. And it's really interesting, guys, that... Why, if we know about the battle, why we so often deny and ignore this spiritual battle? It's a question that I have for all of us. Even when we see our life and our Christian walk falling apart, things are not going good. We're being involved in sin and we don't care. Our marriage, our kids, our walk with Christ is falling apart and we don't fight. I see a problem there, you know, and ask myself, why? Make us be, we become so comfortable, not fighting, sitting in the couch or whatever, you know? But the Bible says, fight. And it's evident, guys, <clears throat> from, you know, from the beginning of the scriptures 
to the revelation that the enemy is being in every part of the scripture trying to destroy the work of God. I, I, I'm thinking from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were having a good communion with God and there was coil around that awesome tree, the devil. Think about the flood. Angels came and started trying to destroy the, the blood of, you know, or trying to destroy the genetics of man. Think about the Philistines. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt, the Philistines were people <clears throat> that, that wanted to steal the land from the Israelites. And what they used to do, this, the method, they used to gain uh, little by little more space to the point that they built towers and fortress in the middle of Israel. So when the battle, took, when the battle started taking place or war started, they already had a, a headquarters in Israel. It's how the enemy works. Little by little, he gets into your life until he's inside. Trying to stop the work of God. Think about Herod in the New Testament. When Herod heard that the wise men came looking for the king of Israel, he got super jealous. And he said, hey, let's go and kill all the two years old and under. Let's kill them all. I don't care what color they are, just kill them. Because I, the, I don't want this Messiah to take my, 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 my throne. Guys, this king was afraid of a baby. Think about it. I mean, I don't know what you're afraid, but he was afraid of a baby. Think about Judas. Judas Iscariot is one of the worst examples, but sovereign to think about this thing, this man. Judas Iscariot was a disciple of Jesus. He, lived with, he walked with Jesus, um, uh, witnessed the, the miracles. He had the opportunity to repent. He didn't do it. And on the, on the last night before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus was having a good dinner with the disciples, explaining to them that he had to die, washing their feet, loving on them. And guess who was there in the middle? The Bible said that Satan entered into Judas. And this is where Judas went and betrayed Jesus for some coins. If we continue reading in the, in the New Testament, we see false prophets uh, creeping into the church, bringing heresy and false, doc, false doctrine. There is a pastor named J. Vernon McGee, a great pastor. He uh, had a commentary on the spiritual warfare, and he's, he put it like this. It's a, a little funny, but he, he says, Satan is not concerned about the Saturday night nightclub. Saturday night nightclub, when people are drinking, fornicating, and, and, and doing drugs. But he said, I think the devil is sleeping all tied in his bed because he want to wake up early because he want to come to church. He want to come and destroy the work of God just like he was on the Last Supper among the disciples. He want to disrupt and destroy where the gospel is being preached Prayer time, he want to take prayer time out of the way. Marriage, because he knows that prayer is the power of the church, the power of the Christian. He want to go when Bible, the Bible is being preached, evangelistic events, your home, your marriage. He want to destroy all. And I want to ask you something really quick before we move in into our text. Do we understand this? Yes? Yes. Verse 10, it says, uh, let's go to our text, Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Immediately, Paul, the apostle, encouraged the believer before he talked to them about this battle. He, he's, he, he is telling them, be strong in the Lord. And that sounds kind of silly because how am I going to become strong unless I go to the gym, unless I do something? That's if we see... Spiritual, the spiritual, spiritual thing with the carnal eyes, we see, hey, I need to go to the gym to get strong. But it doesn't go like that. We get strong in the Lord when we hope in the Lord. Lewis says in Psalm 31, verse 23 and 24, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. For the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. But be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. He will strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. If we want to enter into this battle, we need to know, hey, I'm going to hope in the Lord. I know that he's going to see me through. I know that he's going to go before me. He is the, the good shepherd. 
If I follow him, I shall not want. He will give me everything that I need in this life and for this life of godliness. Verse 11 and 13, we read, Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done, having done all to stand. We see right here that the main point is to stand and not to be defeated. And we are commanded to stand. And how we do this? By putting the whole armor of God. Really interesting that Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, I believe that the Ephesians knew what an armor was. What an armor that a soldier would wear. Remember that the Romans conquered all Israel and Asia Minor all the way to Italy. And they conquered all that area. So they had the Roman uh, the, the Roman. You know, the Romans, they had soldiers everywhere. So when Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the Ephesians knew how a, you know, a armor looks like. Because they saw, you know, soldiers in the market, in the market walking around, fighting, riding horses, whatever. And it's really interesting that Paul is saying, put on the whole armor of God. No, put the whole armor that Rome provides. But put the whole armor of God, the one that God, provide, God provides. See, the armor of God is only pro, uh, given to the believers, not to the believers, because it's of God. Put the whole armor of God. Again, this is a spiritual command for believers that will affect our daily life practically. And because it's not an actual armor of metal, so it's got to be something else. So the Armor of God is this. If you're taking notes, three things that we need to consider. What is the armor of God or how we put on the whole armor of God? First thing is, the armor of God is the truth. Listen, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the scripture that we believe, that we treasure in our hearts, and that we walk in them or obey them. When you believe, you're covering yourself with what you believe. When you treasure it, you're making it, you're making it yours. And when you walk in it, you are saying that that's truth because you obey it. And think about the truth, guys. The word of God is the truth. And Hebrews 4, verse 12, speaks about what the word is. And look what it says. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is living and powerful. It can cut. It can let us know if we didn't sin. It can let us know if our motives doing these things are wrong or good. And if we need to cover our life physically and spiritual, uh, spiritual walk with, with the Lord, with the truth of the scripture. I want you to consider this. You can read it at home. In Matthew 4, uh, we read about the temptation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, before he started his ministry, he went and fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of fasting and praying for the ministry that was ahead of him, for the, his disciples that he was going to call, and for the, what he was going to do, he was going to die for humankind. He, at the end of that, of that fasting, the devil came and asked him, hey, if you're God, Jesus, make these stones to become bread and eat them because you're hungry. Jesus didn't want to eat him. He said, it, he, Jesus defended himself and he said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that come out of the mouth of God. Then the devil didn't quit. He took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, Jesus, throw yourself down. And I know the scripture said that the angels will guard you if you jump. Jesus said, hey, you shall not tempt your, the Lord your God. Get out. Then the devil came back and said, hey. I mean, he took him to the, the highest mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the, devil's, and the devil uh, asked Jesus and make a, a deal with him. If you 
Worship me right now. Bow down, Jesus, to me, to the devil, to, a, to an angel. And worship me. I will give you all the kingdoms. From Hawaii all the way to uh, Australia. All those kingdoms, you know, Rome, Mexico, everything. Everything that you think, the best kingdoms in the world. I'll give them to you. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall only serve the Lord your God. And the Bible said that he left and the angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I see something really interesting there that it was only God's word that could kick the, the demons out and the devil. Only the word. You know, for the teenagers, it is not, you know, a, a punch. You know, like a street fighter, like a duke, nothing like that. It is not with candles or with smoke or incense. It is through the word of God because it came from God. Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We see right there the whole uh, theme of the word hidden in our heart. They will cover us. They will protect us. They will be the armor that protect us. And now as we continue right there and <clears throat> verse 11, the purpose of the armor is, it says right there that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The armor doesn't protect you of an actual dart, guys. So that, it, that we need to stop thinking that not, because we're Christian, nothing can happen to us. Yes, things can happen to us. Christians have died by eating things that they're not supposed to eat. Christians have uh, died as, uh, you know, as victims of persecution. And yes, bullets and spears went through them. They're not invincible. But he's talking about right here, the armor of God protect us of the attacks of the enemy. They come spiritually to our way. They will destroy your walk. The attacks of the enemy, he says right there, they are his wiles. The word wiles on the Greek, uh, the word wiles on the Greek is methodia, where we get our term for method in, in English. Method is the way that we do things. It's also the word method and, and the wiles of the devil means the cunning arts, deceit, and, and trickery. Cunning is to have a skill to deceive. You guys, you know, you guys have a lot of skills. I know some of you guys, you know, you guys have a lot of skills to do things. Construction, drawing, art, you know, fixing cars and all kinds of good stuff. And those are skills that you own. Nobody can take them away from you. But the skills that the devil use are skills that are built in him. In John 8, verse 44, it says, Jesus, he was um, um, rebuking some of the Jews that were believing that they were saved. He told them, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we see that the nature of Satan is a liar. A lot of people say, man, I really want to make, a, I want to, you know, maybe you have heard uh, stuff in Hollywood, you know, this singer make a, a, a covenant with the devil because he want to become famous. You know, he sold his, his soul to the devil. Either they did it or not, the Bible said that he wanted to destroy them. He might give him fame, but the purpose is destroy them. He used his, his own, you know, his method as his personality. He's a liar. And he deceived, he used deceit. The word deceit, it means misrepresenting the truth. Think about Adam and Eve, you know. The devil say, hey, if you eat from this, uh, told, told them, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. You will be God. And guess what happened? Sin entered into the world. Now, in the New Testament, we have an awesome example of a circumstance or an event that could destroy the church. But praise God for John. They praise God for the Apostle Peter. They say, mm -mm, we will follow God. Let's read Acts 6, verse 1 to 4. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected, neglected in the daily distribution then the twelve summoned the, the, the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable 
that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we might appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we see a problem in, 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 in the first century church. God is adding a lot of people. They're getting saved into the church. And the, the disciples, are, they are like, man, God loves the church. God loves the poor. God loves the widows, the orphans. Let's take care of them. And the Bible says that they were taking care of a lot of people. But it came to a point that they, they were a bunch of uh, widows. That they were not getting food or, you know, the help that they need. And the Hellenists, some guys say, hey, if you're Christian, you should help them. And instead of being in the world all day long, help them. And, and Peter, they were, maybe Peter or John, they were tempted to go and say, let's get this task done. But in the midst of that, they are like, man, it's not fair that we should leave the word and prayer to go and serve tables. I got to make a note. That doesn't mean that they helping the poor, the homeless, the widow, the orphan is not, uh, you know, a, something that God has called us to do because he has. But the problem is when we change the priorities and say, hey, we're we going we gonna to go help and then we're going to leave the word and, the, and prayer to the side. See, the devil, I believe that he, you know, it was a problem because it was an accusation against the believers. And who is the one that accuses? The devil. The devil wanted to transform the purpose of the first century church. And instead of a, a gospel-centered church, he wanted to transform the, the first century church into a, a social gospel church. that is more concerned about helping kids how to read. Helping the widows, helping the poor, which is a great thing, let me tell you. But the devil always want to use truth that is truth and change it into a way that you will end up away from God. Praise God that John and Peter, he's, he, they got together seven men that were full of the Spirit and they ministered to the widows. And we're supposed to be doing this. But at any point, we're supposed to change the, the roles. People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the salvation in Jesus Christ. And also, we need to be praying for the laws. We need to be praying for one another. If we forsake this, we're going to be in big trouble, guys. That's why in our church we make emphasis on prayer, guys. We need to be praying. That's why we, you know, even have that, uh, the, uh, that, that prayer area in the back that you guys can pray in between services, that you can inter, inter, intercede for, for me, that, I, that God will help me, and for Pastor Steve, and for people that are here listening, they will grow and they will hear and they will believe and be saved. Because the enemy is, like I said, is around, trying to destroy us through a distraction, through a text, through, I need to go to the bathroom right now. It's more important than the gospel. I got to go check the books right now. Everything can distract, you know, distract, you know, the believer or the unbeliever that they might not grow in the Lord. Now, one thing, guys, the devil will use his tactics. As we see in our world today, there's a lot of liars out there that said there's other ways to go to heaven. Some people say, hey, Jesus, one of many ways. It's not true. Some people say, hey, uh, yes, believe in Christ, but also believe in evolution at the same time. Just giving a little space for the devil to come and destroy your church. Some people might say, hey, you need, you need to be afraid. You know, you, 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 they don't going to hear you if you preach the gospel. Just better go sit down at home and don't do anything. Go entertain yourself. Worry about your kids more uh, of what they're doing in the sports, how they're doing spiritually. Great mistake, guys. It's the opposite, right? How the kids are doing it spiritually and then how they're doing everywhere else. Because when we do it like that, problems Things are going to happen. It's really interesting that I've seen many cases and where the devil is tempting us to leave the, the, the blessing that he has given us for trash. The devil will tempt us to leave our family for a sinful activity, pornography, for lying, for thieving, for a couple of bucks, for a couple of dollars. Should we stain our reputation? Or witnessing in front of the Lord? 
At what, you, at what time you enter to work? Nine. Hmm. Okay, the truth. 9.35, you know? So you start telling the truth. You're giving glory to the Lord, even though if you don't hide anything, that you give glory to the Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Clearly says that the things that we pursue in life with all our heart will perish. But with the things that we invest spiritually, you know, in the things of God, they will stay forever. Invest in your relationship with God today. Invest in your marriage spiritually. Invest in your kids. Invest in your church. Come and serve. Go and pray. Let's intercede for one another. Those things won't perish. But the couch that we sit in every day, that will, that, that will be broken. Even before, I, I don't know. I mean, Christ can come today and that couch is going to burn. But think about all those things, guys. Now, and it says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. That's the enemy. That's where the battle is taking place in the heavenly places in the spiritual realm that we don't see. But we can engage in that battle through prayer and through sharing the good news with people. Now it says that we don't wrestle against flesh. God has not called us to go and go and have a crusade where we need to kill people if they don't believe in Christ. Think about what the Catholic Church did in the 15th century. Wrong. They annihilated a lot of people. Even Christians, they didn't want to believe in their doctrine. God has no cause to do that. But our enemy is against principalities. That means demons, people in charge of cultures and regions. And regions. And at the end it says, against a spiritual host of wickedness. Do you guys know that there is a spiritual host? That means that a lot of demons are in charge of depravity. A lot of demons are in charge of iniquity. A lot of demons are in charge of, of different evil sins in the world. They have homosexual agenda. Abortion, guys. Pornography. They are in charge of that and, and seem like they're destroying a lot of people. And that taking place in the heavenly place that we don't see. See, guys, the Bible says that Christians cannot be demon-possessed because the Holy Spirit lives in us. But we can be demon-oppressed if we open our doors to things that are not of the Lord. I imagine I like to play with ideas, but sometimes I like to think about how I would look if I was able to see an angel having under control of thousands of evil angels having dominion over a city or a church or a family. I imagine maybe an angel going and submitting the husband with the leg, you know. Say, hey, you're not moving anywhere. You're going to stay here in your own sin. You're going to stay, you know, America, you're going to stay here. Church, you're going to stay doing nothing. Yes, abortion is going to continue and nobody can stop it. Things like that. And you can kind of picture in your mind, and it, I believe it's kind of like what is happening. Maybe I cannot even uh, describe it, but what, my point that I want to say is there is many families, churches, countries oppressed by this spiritual host of wickedness. And I got to ask myself a question to myself first and also to all of us. Is this oppression that maybe we experience in our life or in our country is because we open the door to those, those forces, those demons? I want you to analyze your life. If you're struggling with something, something destroying you, walk with the Lord. Is that... Is that happening because God, the, the world is persecuting you? Or is it because you have opened the doors through a sin or a, sexual, or a sinful sexual activity that have destroyed your marriage, your life, your witnessing? It is because of us? And let me tell you one thing, guys, without being embarrassed. It is. 
It is because we have opened our doors to many things that are not of the Lord. We need to pray for abortion. We need to pray for uh, the, 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 those that are out there that are homosexual. They need to know the truth to free them from, you know, they can be free. We don't have a fight against them. I heard a kid that, a kid that said that I, that I was a homophobic. Somebody told me that. I said, that's not true. I love them so much that I want to tell them the truth. Just because one of the lessons that when they came to church, they heard that, that about, we were talking about homosexuality. And I said, that's a sin. And God want to forgive these people that this sin. Just like he want to forgive a thief, an adulterous person. We don't have nothing against people. But we have all against sin and against that the private is going on. And we're going to pray for that. That God will deliver them. Um, just for the lack of time, if you're taking notes. Um, in Genesis 28, verse 12, talks about how um, there's a, um, angels of God defending um, Jacob in Genesis 28. So we think, about, we, we think about a lot of demons, but we, we also need to know that God has a bunch of angels. We only know, I think, two by name, right? Uh, Michael, um, uh, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael is not an angel, okay? That's a ninja turtle. Now, <laughs> these angels are powerful. They can, they can do a lot of damage. But it says in Genesis 28 that, they were, that Jacob opened his eyes and he saw angels ascending and descending, speaking about they were already working and preparing the work of the Lord and this earth. And God sent a bunch of angels to, to help us. I don't want you to get all weird to say, angel, come and help me. Nothing like that. Because God doesn't want us to pray to angels. But we can pray, Lord, protect us. Send your angels. In Job 1, we see the angels of the devil, that activity coming before the Lord. In Job 1, verse 6 to 7, and condemning and accusing believers and condemning people. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, we see, and we're going to read it. It says about false prophets. For such are false prophets, the sinful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of life. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Man, there's a lot of false prophets out there, right? If you, you know, if you like to sometimes look, conf, uh, look at conference where they're supposed to be Christians, there are people that are wicked there. We don't have time to go to that, but there's people, they call themselves Christians, but they, fall, they preach a false gospel. But also we have an awesome promise for us in the middle of all this battle and all this, you know, bad news of, with the bad angels. Proverbs 34, 7, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. I think it's Psalm 34, excuse me. The Lord, God sent his angels to encamp around us for all those that fear, the fear, for the fear of the Lord. And that's a good thing. We, we are securing him. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, we see the solution is to put the whole armor of God, which is believing the truth, treasure in our heart, and walk in it. And, it's, and, it, it, and, and notice this thing right here. In verse 10, we read, put on the whole armor of God. In verse 13, we read, take up the whole armor of God. So if you already hear what's the armor and how he can help, and how he can help you, now pick it up and get up. So because a lot of people, and I call myself one of those, we're, sometimes we're hearers and not doers. But right here, Paul says, hey, grab it. And get out. Go to battle. Verse 14. We see our first, our first piece of armor. Stand therefore, having geared your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the first thing that we see is the, uh, the Paul stand telling us, put, I mean, excuse me, to gear our waist with truth. To gear yourself with truth. That, that, that was talking about a belt that the soldiers would, you know, secure their pants. That they will secure their skirt if they, you know, because that's what a soldier would use back then. Even it sounds weird. They, they used to use leather skirts, the soldiers. And, God, and Paul is saying, tie them on. Tie the belt of truth and get to battle. 
is really cool, guys, about this piece of armor because um, and a, a, a warrior or a soldier can, could not go to battle. I mean, he could, but he would be worthless because the belt grabbed his pants. And also it has the place where the sword goes. And if he didn't have that and he's like, I'm ready to go, but he didn't have that. He was good for nothing. Think about, you can imagine maybe a soldier going to battle and everybody's with the uniform all all good. And there's a soldier with the saggy pants all the way to the knees, you know? Can you imagine, you know, getting, you know, going like this, like, you know, like a penguin going to war, you know, they're going to kill you and break your egg. No, but it's really interesting guys how this, this belt is so important and as we go to battle into this dark world, and as the belt of truth, that belt holds everything together. And the truth of God holds everything that we know. He gives us purpose. He gives us goals. He gives us uh, promises. Without that, we're good for nothing, guys. And Paul says, gear yourself with truth. Truth is the absolute truth about God, about his attributes, how he deals with, with people, about sin, about forgiveness, about heaven, about hell, about angels. There is truth, the, the truth that we see in the Bible, there is, most of it can be proven in the Bible, guys, about Israel, about uh, the Christ came and died and there is an empty tomb, but there is some stuff that we cannot test. We, we cannot go back to, to creation and saw God make, make, making, you know, made in the world in three and, and six days. But guess who we have? We have the one that confirmed all the words that he said before he died, that he was telling the truth, Christ. Christ rose from the grave. So everything that he said is true. Jesus Christ spoke about creation. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ spoke about Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus Christ spoke about the flood. Jesus Christ talked about uh, Jonah eaten by a big fish. How, how can sometimes we don't believe those stories? Jesus Christ talks, talks about it, not, not as, a, as an illustration, but as a real event. And he confirmed it by raising from the dead. So I can believe some, some stuff that I cannot see. Because from the source that he came from, it come from the mouth of my God. John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me that the truth. John 8, 31 to 32, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth, when we know the truth, when we gear ourselves with the truth, that takes, takes, takes care of all the lies. I kind of picture the truth as a, an atomic bomb. Atomic bomb, when it falls, you know, the radiation goes and everything, is, it gets, you know, not a great illustration, but everything is destroyed as the radiation is going. And the truth needs to do that in our hearts, guys. When we believe it, it might destroy all the fa- false conceptions that we have about God, about life. And as you read it more, you get to know the truth of God, and you enjoy your Savior more and more. Colossians 1 Verse 16 to verse 20 talks about that Jesus Christ is the creator. Look what it says in verse 16. For by him all things were created, that they are in heaven and that they are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And if you continue reading that from verse 16 to 20, it says that Christ is the giver of life, the sustainer, the head of the church. God, the Savior of the, of the sinner. And this truth should, guys, disintegrate the lies of the enemy when they come your way. And I give the last warning, too. Without truth, there's no goals. Just like a soldier, why go to battle? He, he doesn't have, he cannot pull his pants. He cannot have a place to put his sword. He's good. He's not a good soldier. We have to have the truth in our life. That gives us purpose, a reason to live. Think about soldiers running away, hiding in a cave, hiding 
only behind a, a, a goat or something trying to escape the attacks of the enemy. Because he, he, he had not only pants all the way to their knees, but no sword, nothing. He's going to die. This, that, that soul doesn't have any purpose. And think about what the society and the world, and as we were talking about the, the host of wickedness, are doing to our society. Think about a school, guys. On a school from uh, kindergarten all the way to university, they believe that the humans came from an accident, from a big bang. They believe that we came from a monkey. There is no proof of that. There is no missing link. There is some bones of an orangutan or a chimpanzee or something. But we see that that's where the kids are learning. So pretty much what the teachers are telling the kids in the school is, hey, you're an accident. I mean, you don't want your kid to be caught an accident in school. But pretty much they're calling them, hey, how you doing, little accident? How about your vacation, little accident? Oh, good. What are you going to do when you grow up? When you, when you grow up, accident? I want to be an uh, engineer. Okay, have, have fun, accident. So if you're an accident or a cosmic accident, you don't have purpose. Might as well live like the people of Noah's day. If there is no hell, there is no heaven. Let's do everything we want. There's no morality. And we see that life without purpose in our days, guys. And we need to share the truth with people who don't know that, the truth. They don't know that God loves them, that God has a purpose for them, that God want to see them in heaven, that God want to forgive their sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, verse 24 to 27, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a, in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you might obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And Paul say, hey, I'm fighting with a purpose. They might beat me up when I go to preach the gospel, but I know that I'm preaching the word that can free people from their sins. You have to put that belt of truth, guys. We need to get to know God's truth. And I love these guys because when you read from Genesis, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, any story, even if you go to 1 Samuel or to Joseph, which is a crazy book, and you're like, man, what does the story have to do with Christianity? You need to understand that in all of it, you will see the heart of God and how he deals with people, and you get to know God's heart. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for the correction, for the destruction of, of, and righteousness. And, uh, and look what it says in verse 16. It's given by inspiration of, inspiration of God. All the word from Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God. Yes, it was written by different people, but the Holy Spirit inspired this man to write it down in truth. And the cool thing is, it is the breath of God. The word inspiration, I mean the breath. So when you read the Bible, you get to know the plan of God and his heart in your life. And there's nothing better than to know God's heart and, and as you walk in, in this life. David was known by chasing God's heart, by going after God's heart. And when we, when we get into the Bible daily at home, when you come to church, Hopefully that will decide, Lord, I want to go after your heart. I want to get to know you, God. I know one day I will see you, but as more, as more that I know you right now, as more as I can love you more. And I pray, guys, that you, you're not thinking, oh, well, one day I'm going to see Jesus. Why I have to equip myself? God has done so much for us that, I wanna, that we want to give him all that we have in this day, all that we have in this life. Um, 12.35, let me see. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for giving us what we don't deserve, Father. Thank you, God, by, uh, for dying on the cross for our sins, for rescuing us, God, for giving us, Lord God, uh, the forgiveness that nobody can take away from us. Thank you, God, that you go before us. Thank you that you are our warrior. 
Thank you that you said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Greater is the one that lives in us than the one that lives in the world. You said in the scripture too, God, that I can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid what man can do to me. We are in a battle, God, but give us confidence, God, as we read in Psalm 34. Give us confidence that as we hope in you and put our trust in you, you will strengthen us, God, to put, in, uh, to put this armor on us, God, to believe in the truth, to treasure that truth in our heart and to walk in them, Lord God. So help us, God, today. And I pray there is someone right here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, they will call. They will ask for that forgiveness that you offer them, God. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand up. <clears throat> close on one worship song.
guys, um, we're going to invite some prayer counselors. If you guys need prayer for something, or if you have given the life to the Lord, if you want to know more about what is to be saved or how to follow God, just come over here and there's going to be some counselors that will love to pray with you or maybe give you a Bible that you can continue walking with God. You guys can go. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.